Welcome to With You Every Step, the solo travel podcast that explores, explains and hopefully inspires you to travel the world by yourself. I'm your host, Michelle Lee. Welcome back to With You Every Step. This week, I have an episode about something that, to be honest, I actually have no idea about. I didn't even know this existed. So I have invited Sasha Kurdell to talk to me about her Jewish background and heading to Israel on a birthright. You'll also hear a little bit of rain in the background. Actually, that's a lie. It's a fair bit of rain. It rained really, really heavy. And also you might hear some thunder. It's not throughout the whole episode and I've tried to clean it up as much as possible so it doesn't hurt your ears when you're listening. So please be patient. It's only mainly for the start and certain scattered bits throughout this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks, Sasha, for joining us today. Now you are going to tell us about your trip to Israel, which I'm really excited to hear about because I've never been to Israel and it looks amazing. So when did you go? I went a couple of years ago and I went from, when was it, like the 16th of December and I think I came back Boxing Day. Oh, you were there over Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It was like the first Christmas I'd had away from my family and it was it was actually really cool to be there over Christmas. Okay, let's backpedal actually. I've jumped way <laughs> too quickly into this. I want to know how you ended up booking this trip to start with and why you decided to go there. So I have Jewish heritage. My mum is Jewish. Being Jewish has always been like really important to me. I've never been that religious but just the tradition and the sense of community and I've sort of been out of it and I feel like I don't really know very much, but it's just an important part of who I am. So I found out a few years ago that you could go on this thing called birthright. So if you have one Jewish grandparent, you can apply to like be taken on this trip to explore Israel and be introduced to it and, and sort of be immersed in, in more of the culture and it's it's basically a philanthropic thing so you only really need to pay sort of your daily expenses but most of your um, flights and accommodation the tour activities and a couple of meals a day are covered (gasps) are you serious I didn't know this was such a thing yeah, so when and I didn't have the opportunity to go for a long time and uh, you're it's only up to uh, the age of 27 that you can apply. Okay. So when I was like getting close, <laughs> I was and I, and it was like the first opportunity I had, I was like I just pushed my application through like I called there's a few different agencies that do it and I like called a few ones to make sure that I had applied in the right place because there's a younger group and an older group and I was definitely in the older group and I called them and I got you know a few things sort of checked just to make sure I was like on the list because I was nervous about missing out. Sorry I need to backpedal again did you say they cover your flights and your tours and you just have to pay for like some food is that what you just said? Yeah, so you like about one meal a day and anything else, like any other food that you want, you you buy, but you basically get most breakfast and dinner or something like that. Like most of the time it's in your accommodation unless you're going out and then it's 
your own cost and then any sort of uh, stuff that you want to buy along the way. I sort of underestimated how expensive it was still going to be because there's obviously still a lot of costs with traveling, but it was pretty incredible to get the opportunity to when you don't have money to travel to get to go away and have a really meaningful trip. It sounds amazing. How do people apply? Because so there's a few places you can apply and I won't be able to remember all of the names. So I can possibly send them to you after and you can, you know, put the links in the info for people. Yeah. Yeah. But basically if you search birthright and you you sort of search where you're going to be leaving from because they actually, there's a few all around the world and they take sort of young adults to Israel. So if you search the birthright and then where you're leaving from, you will find a few different agencies that you can apply to. And it's it's a bit of a process. You do need to write like a bit of an essay why it's important to you and your family background. And the reason why they say one Jewish grandparent is because you were eligible to be ostracized and persecuted in the Holocaust for having one Jewish grandparent. So they're like, if you were eligible to be targeted in the Holocaust for having one Jewish grandparent, we will invite you for having one Jewish grandparent. So it's quite beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. Wow. And horrific at the same time because that's the history of it. It's so sad. It's so, so sad, but it's sort of this light at the end of the tunnel. I had no idea about this at all. I'm so happy that I'm getting to talk to you and hopefully somebody else out there that didn't know this might be able to listen to this and be able to go on the same journey that you went on. Okay, so you had to write an essay and I'm assuming not everybody gets selected because I'm assuming there would be a lot of people applying. Yeah, I I think a lot of people apply that know about it. I'm I haven't heard of anybody getting knocked back. I think they really try and take most people. I haven't heard of anyone that doesn't get accepted. You write an essay, then what else? Is there an interview process or something? Yeah, so you basically then once you've written the essay, you've chosen what dates you would prefer, then you go into a pre-interview and It is to make sure that you are the right person to join the trip, but also that you can handle the physical demands of the trip and and that you fully understand sort of sort of what you're you're getting into. And it's it's really nice because your interviews with one of your guides, with one of your tour guides, which are almost your age, just slightly older, and so it's sort of nice to meet them too. Yeah, it's really good to be able to see and meet the person that's going to be your guide before you go on the trip. I guess that's taking a little bit away of your nerves with you because you were going by yourself, weren't you? Yeah, some people went with um, people they knew. So what happened after the interview was then we had a, a meeting, like a tour meeting where everybody who was going on the tour from Melbourne, we'd met the younger group and the older group from Melbourne and we were then going to join a Sydney group. You could see a lot of people had applied with friends. They did know people. Like we had one couple that went, it, like a lot of people didn't know people, but then some people did have friends. So it was an interesting dynamic. Mm. And you were by yourself? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I went by myself. But I was, I was excited to go by myself. You know, like I haven't really travelled alone so it was sort of the closest thing I got to at that point that was like within reach of traveling alone and having my own adventure 
Yeah, it's good. I'm I'm a big bragger on solo travel and how important it is for finding who you are and getting confidence. But I think even doing it that way, you're still making the choice to go by yourself. It's even though you're in a tour group and you've got people helping you, it's just a it's a smart way and a good way to do it. Well, I feel like it also means you're open to who you're going to hang out with. You haven't already decided on, you know, you haven't got friends that you're going with that you're going to be talking with the whole time. You're sort of open to meeting people. Or stuck with if things don't go well and then you have no choice. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I loved it. I think it was just the coolest thing to and, – and being away on Christmas, I feel like I felt like a rebel. Mm. So – you had the interview process, you've then met everybody, and then the next part is you're off? Yeah, basically we met everybody, I got our itineraries and we had to organise Israeli like SIM cards and the Israeli a security system is a bit different. So like we had to have, I mean, I know when you travel all the time you have to have a visa that has at least six months on it. Do you mean passport? Uh, yes, yeah, sorry, your passport. Yeah. Did you need a visa for Israel though? I think so. Or if we did have one, it was all organised on our behalf. Okay. Yeah. But I know that we, when we got to the airport, there was at least one person that couldn't go because their passport had less than six months on it. They hadn't checked. No. <gasps> which I, I would be devastated if that happened to me. I would be so upset. Yeah, absolutely. So would I. And it is, I've spoken about this before, it is one of those irritating things because you always end up losing six months of the money that you've paid for but that's what happens because like I've, I think it was on my episode with Bruce maybe where they we talked about if you end up getting stuck in jail or something happens yeah that's why you need to have the extra time on there but it is absolutely something to be aware of that yeah I couldn't imagine showing up at the airport ready for your trip all packed or ready to go and then you get told no you can't leave Oh, it would, yeah, I would just be heartbroken. It would be so awful. So awful. A lot of people had their bags kept uh, to be gone through thoroughly before we actually landed in Israel. So uh, quite a few people didn't get their bags for two days because it had taken them so long to go through the bags. It, they missed the flight. So it was a really, like, that was a tough experience for a lot of people being in this country and not have only for, like, 10 days and not having their bags for for two of them. Oh, just they just didn't make the plane. They just in our in our layover, they got searched, and we got questioned, and it was like very intense questioning. And we knew that our bags were getting searched. We had to show them out, like back our carry on, and and actually physically show them what was in our carry on. And there was a lot of people. I'd say like. 30% of the people whose bags didn't make it on that next flight into Israel because security was taking so long. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. It was, it's one of those things where a lot of people got really, really angry, but at the same time I sort of felt like, yes, it's really annoying, but this is just like, it's Israel. It's what they've got to do. So this was the Israel, I'm a bit confused because when I normally go on a layover, I don't normally have to go back through security. So heading to Israel, is that something that needs to be done before you get to the country? Yes, yes. Huh. Yeah, I can't speak for other passengers that were not on a tour. 
Um, I assume everyone went through it. It just took longer for us because we were on a tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's intense. It is really intense. You get into Israel then, and what's the first thing that happens? The first thing we did, we got off the plane and we went to what was looked like a roadside stop. But you know how here our roadside stops, you've got like McDonald's, you've got like your fast food places and then your petrol station. Next to this petrol station was like a full-on restaurant. They had this like a buffet lunch set out for us. Like this is beautiful ethnic foods like and this is just what's on the roadside stop. Like it was amazing. What kind of food is ethnic food? (laughs) I'm probably making generalizations. I hope no one doesn't like that I've used that term. But like the whole vibe, there's like shakshuka, which is like eggs and this sort of tomato sauce. There's like uh, amazing salads. What else did they have? Rice dishes, a lot of rice. I would think. No, no. Israel is Israel is not big with rice. Not no. I don't remember a lot of a lot of rice. But very, all very, very fresh foods, like incredibly fresh foods. It's making me hungry. Oh, my God, so beautiful. And you walk in and you're like, oh, we're going to be okay. Like, you know how I think some people say, I don't know what I'm going to eat. You're like, oh, we'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, that is true, actually. The very first meal you have in a new country is kind of the make or break of is this going to be great or is this not going to be great? And <laughs> I think that is a very good point. I've actually never thought of it like that before, but it is very true. <laughs> and what I remember too was that because I'm not a coffee drinker, their tea was like black tea but with peppermint leaves and this was normal. Where has this been all my life? <laughs> like I don't like black tea but I would drink it with peppermint leaves. Yeah, I remember in Egypt there was a lot of peppermint tea. Okay, so you have this and then where do you go? The accommodation in Israel, it's I, – look, I didn't stay in non-tour accommodation where we were from – I mean where we weren't, but the rooms are quite small that we stayed in and I think we just went and we unpacked our bags and – sort of got settled because it was our, our our tour guide was very just so excited to tell us like the history and and what he could and give us like a really rich experience was it a hotel or a hostel it was a hotel and did you have to share a room with somebody yeah so we shared rooms with up to two other people also a room of three people okay and it was sing- the same sex Yes, yeah, so yeah, and uh, single so bed, there'd be like two single beds and a pull out bed. Oh, who got the pull out bed? Was it like rock, paper, scissors? Um, I don't remember how it was decided. I know that I didn't I didn't use the pull out bed, which I was okay with that. And I was oh you know what happened on the first night? I left my spare charger and my wall adapter in the first hotel. So on the very first night I lost all of my electricity sources oh no and were you able to get it back no I then I just bought a portable um charger and I borrowed other people's chargers to charge that and that's not ideal if I you know had done that over again I would have had another spare I wouldn't have just been uh, traveling with one because I think that's something that you just lose them so easily and they can be quite expensive in different countries to replace. And 
Yeah, and it's not always easy to be able to replace them either. I am super, super vigilant with making sure that I have all of my charges because without charge, without power, oh, can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. So I make sure all the PowerPoints, wherever I put them, I make sure I try and keep them to the same PowerPoint. So I try and use that one PowerPoint so I don't have them in different ones because otherwise I find that can be something that could be confusing where you might leave something behind. Exactly. And it's just so easy to do, especially when you're in a rush and you need to leave and you think you've checked, but it it blends in. So what was the first touristy or heritage thing that you did? One of the first things that we did was we actually went to the Holocaust Museum. Oh, that sounds intense for when you first get there. It was actually really beautiful because of how they have turned it around from being this negative to this museum that is actually about bringing the identities back of all the people impacted and who lost their lives in the Holocaust. So they have this, it's hard to describe, but it's like this circular room and it's all just shelves and they are regaining the identities of people who lost their lives in the Holocaust. So profiles about people and anyone who knows anything about someone who died in the Holocaust and can give them information. It gets recorded into these books and they put it in this library. Wow. And I would assume that a lot of the people going on these trips would probably have family members that were lost in the Holocaust. Yeah. And it's it's really, really special because it means that they're no longer just a number that died. It's, it's taking away that just a number. One of the most uh, sort of like heart-wrenching experiences of the whole trip was in that museum. And we went into the Children's Museum. So it was just one of the most touching but also heart-wrenching parts of the trip because this Children's Museum, I'm trying to remember if that was the correct name, you would go into this room full of mirrors and there was this one candle but it was reflected like an infinity amount of times into the room and there was a recording that would say all of the names of the children and their age and so many people came out just like in tears yeah that's really heart-wrenching it's so hard I went to the apartheid museum in South Africa in Johannesburg and I had to walk out because it was just too much I couldn't I couldn't comprehend how humans could do this to each other. So I can't imagine how that would be, especially when it's about children. Oh, It's really hard to wrap your head around. Also the fact that it really wasn't that long ago. In the scheme of things, it wasn't that long ago at all. And I know that around the world there are still horrendous things happening. And the fact that something to this mass happened not that long ago is really hard to believe that was sort of one of the craziest things to wrap your head around in Israel that Israel is really young Israel is a young country and but it's so uh the history of it is so rich and you can see how old the architecture is but the country itself is really young okay so you did that I can imagine everyone feeling 
very connected maybe as well in that moment to your history and to your family? Yeah, I think it it starts to make it real uh, with why you're there. And that uh, the thing about Israel that I think everyone was relieved to understand was that you go to Israel and they're not trying to make you more religious. If you go and you really don't know anything, you don't have an understanding of the traditions and sort of what it is to be a practicing Jew, that's okay. It's just important that you are proud to be Jewish and it's a part of who you are and that you carry that on. And there isn't that sense of pressure and a lot of us sort of, you know, there's that joke like, oh, yeah, I'm Jewish. And they'd be like, don't do that. Just say that you're Jewish. And if you don't practice, that's okay. 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 Now I see why they would do that first off. Yeah. It makes sense to me now why that's the first thing that you do when you arrive. Yeah. And I think it's it's a very humbling, it's a very humbling experience, but incredibly beautiful as well. The architecture of this building was amazing. There was sculptures all around. It was a really peaceful place to be. All right. What was the next thing that you did? Uh, so one of the other things that we did very early in our trip is we went to this mountain that is the right in the middle of uh, where you can see Syria and Lebanon and so you can stand like it's at the the peak of Israel and on one side is Syria and on one side is Lebanon and that's one of the areas where you really need to be careful and at times they'll like they'll tell you if it's not safe and then the tours just get redirected and don't go there but when it is safe, you still stand there. And when we were there, you can actually hear bombs going off in oh, the distance. That's a bit scary. Yeah, but I like it was interesting because at the time when we travelled, there was still it wasn't long after a lot of stuff was going on in London, and you actually feel quite safe in Israel because you know they know what they're doing. Like they've done it for so long, they're so tight with their security stuff can happen but in general it's a really safe place to be and like even in a sense of if there was any bags left anywhere unattended they would call the bomb squad I think on the first day one of the things that happened was we had to go to a mall because people had to buy clothes and then we were evacuated because they had to call the bomb squad because there was a bag left somewhere it sounds scary but in another way I sort of am like that's actually great like if they know that's what they've got to do you feel safer knowing there's stuff happening yeah so and especially because that like at the time like when all the London stuff was going on like they their security wasn't tight because it was sort of new for them whereas Israel was it was very secure Mm. and so from this peak you could actually see the other countries yeah, yeah. So you would look and our tour guide actually pointed out the borders to us. So you could see particular roads where you could see across it and, and that was the, the next country. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Surreal, like so surreal. Where After that, where did you go? We went to Sfat City, which it's got a few different spellings, but this was my favourite place. Besides, besides the Dead Sea, Sfat City was amazing it's like this artist town and it's so ancient like the stones are like cobbled it's amazing sandstone buildings the 
synagogues there are really beautiful, have the most like amazing designs and it's a really, really creative place and there's lots of markets. Mm, being a creative yourself absolutely (laughs) it sounds like home (laughs) it was amazing and I had really great food and I'm an alternative eater and I found this place that had like vegan vegetarian food and I was able to be like in Israel getting my like green smoothie and my vegan like mac and cheese and it was amazing oh it sounds delicious I'm hungry yeah it was (laughs) (laughs) Why were you in this town? Is there a purpose for it? It's just because it's a really beautiful town. Yeah, it's one of the places that if you go to Israel and you are traveling around Israel, you do like it, it's just such an amazing spot to hit. It is, there's so much rich history there and there's so much you can do. There are so many markets, there's so much food. And you, the outlooks, like what's really incredible in Israel is the outlooks. Like we did a lot of hiking while we were over there and it's such a mountainous place. You're like in the middle of the city and you get these like incredible views. So part of the tour was to be hiking around? Yes, we did a significant amount of hiking when we were away. And what was the purpose behind the hiking It's about having the connection to the land and how the Jews sort of fought going through the land and and building uh, a a city and community like on this land and you have to sort of be a part of the terrain to really understand it. It's something that it's like it's one of those things that you can hike anywhere but you go to Israel and it's a different sort of spiritual experience because you're connecting to the history, even if you're not Jewish. And I think anybody should go, anybody and everybody should go to Israel, even if you're not Jewish. Mm, Sounds lovely. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was interesting because we had quite a divided tour group. Some, Some people sort of took the experience a lot more seriously than other people. Yeah, I was thinking that earlier when we were talking about the fact that it's basically free, apart from a few things, And I was thinking that. I was thinking, wonder how many people would be taking advantage of that instead of actually what it's designed for, which is really connecting with your past. It was, some of it was just like, what is going on? Like you're on this tour, you're in this amazing place. You know, people had issues with the tour guide when there really wasn't a need to have an issue. And it was just like these people like, we're away, we've been taken away, we just want a party. And it was not about having a party. That was the shame. That was probably the biggest shame of the trip was that not everyone was on the same page. And I think that's going to be every single place you go. There's always people that have a different expectation of why they're going and what they want out of their trip. And I think that's a perfect example of what happens all the time. I don't think that's just going to Israel. I think that's on every tour group. You will always find some people are there to really take in the country. Some people are there to party. Exactly, exactly. And so you just sort of take away your own expectations. And, and at the end of the day, you, you still come away connecting with amazing people, no matter what. There's always going to be like, if not a handful, like one or two people. Yeah, I agree. Did you end up going to the Wailing Wall? I'm not sure. I don't know too much about it, but I've heard maybe it's got a few names. I'm not sure, but I know Wailing Wall. Yeah. So it's, Uh, The Wailing Wall or the Western Wall, and this was definitely one of the peak experiences of the trip because it's so 
iconic. I think when people think of Israel, you think of the Western Wall or, or the Wailing Wall. I think that's one of the highlights of going in and sort of, you know, it's one of those bucket list things that you can say in your lifetime you've been to the Western Wall. Yeah, I have seen it and, yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about it for it to draw me there. Tell me more about it. Well, it's sort of one of those things where you don't understand the full gravity of it until you're actually there. It has this religious significance so Jews from around the world would naturally be drawn to it. But even if you're not Jewish, it's an incredible experience because when you are there, you actually feel the generations of people and the people of like sort of ancient times that have been there and you can feel it. Like it's a bizarre experience where you have to really be there to understand what it feels like it's an energy level right it's like being on the amazon it's the energy around it it's got this feel Mm. i agree some places you can't explain it you just need to feel it now how big is the wall i'm kind of visualizing the great wall of china like how long does it go for i guess if you were to think of like the mcg and if the stands weren't in the mcg but you had just a straight wall sort of like the height of the MCG and it was more like a like a square rather than a circle like I know that's probably a terrible description okay so I would I would say for my American listeners I would say probably a football field and that's kind of squarish and so all right probably that distance maybe yeah, yeah. So it's very big. It's a because it, it used to encapsulate a temple. So it's a very religious place. So it used to surround a temple. Oh, and just the wall is left. The temple's no longer there. No, the yeah, the temple's no longer there, and there's parts of the wall that are left. The western wall isn't the only part that's left, but that is one of the most religious sites in that area. And you actually go there. One of the experiences that you have going there is that you on a piece of paper can write a prayer maybe you want to write a blessing to someone or someone needs healing or something that you feel you need to write to bless or pray and even if you're not religious it's you know this goodwill that you can bestow and you can write it on a piece of paper and tuck it into the wall and did you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you yeah. want to tell us what your blessing was? You don't have to. Oh, I can't remember. I cannot even remember, but I'm sure it was something about my family and just life and Good happiness. Health. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And you have this moment and, and you find it hard not to get a bit teary and most people are teary around you and it's like it's the gravity of the place. It's so powerful. So there are a lot of people crying when they're there? Yeah, yeah, it's I wouldn't have I didn't really experience the I guess the wailing that you hear about, but a lot of people a lot of people crying. And so do you all just line up together? How does it work? Cuz do you kiss the wall as well or you just put the paper into it? It's up to you. Some people will kiss the wall when when they put the paper in it. I'm not sure if you are more religious if that's something that you do. Did you pucker up for the wall? No, I think I just had my moment like standing close to the wall and you just you just want to stand there and feel it for a bit. Just put your hands on it and just take it in and take a few breaths and 
taking the energy. Yeah, of just it. like breathing, being there. So you do have to dress respectfully. So you have to have closed toe shoes, long skirts, no pants, and like most of your arms covered as a woman. Do actually take that into account when going to the wall. And it is sectioned off. So half of the wall is for the men and half of the wall is for the women. So that's really quite traditional. That's, you know, very orthodox. And even a lot of bat mitzvahs or bar mitzvahs happen at the wall. So you'll hear some dancing going on, which is really cool. Like some of the things that we heard with bar mitzvahs, so boys actually being bar mitzvahed. And while there's people really emotional, there's also people dancing on the other side, and which is amazing. There's these celebrations happening at the same time. Okay. And do the men have to wear anything in particular? I think the men, it is about being like not in jeans and closed toe shoes from memory. But Now, I'm not religious. I don't know much about the Jewish religion at all. But there is like a little hat that men tend to wear. Did they have to wear one of those when they go to the wall? I think if they didn't, so it's called a yarmulke. And if I think if they didn't have a yarmulke, then they had to wear a hat. So in some way, I think they need to cover their heads. It was an amazing time in Jerusalem because it is such an ancient city and there's so much life in it. And it, it's just, it's something that you can't quite understand that like they haven't been there forever, that the Jews haven't been there forever because it's so ancient. And we, we went past schools and saw like the children playing and uh, we went past these shops and I'm not sure if you know what halva is. Like a, something you eat? Yeah, it's a sesame seed, like, dessert. Yeah, I think the Greeks have a halva as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it looks like when it's, you know, fresh, it's like the size of a cake. Mm. And walking into shops, there was halva and mainly halva and then some lollies and some other things, and you would just see, like, these massive cakes of halva and some of them would have, like, M&Ms on them and then pistachio and... Uh, then you'd have the plain ones or the nut ones or Nutella. It was looked so amazing and it was so, like, visually delicious. Like, I just wanted to take them all home. Okay. What was the other parts of your trip? So your trip lasted 10 days, did you say? 10 days. It was such a whirlwind for 10 days. I can imagine it going so quick as well before you know it, you're home, and then you've got to digest it all. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people were able to stay for longer or continue traveling. And I think that really would have been the ideal way to do it so that you could just, after being on such a whirlwind, like just stay for a few days and take it in and just feel still for a bit and allow it, allow it to sink in. Mm. And how does that work though, if they're going to be paying for your flights? So basically, if you don't want to come back, and you're able to stay and keep traveling, then you just basically like sacrifice your flights back home and you have to pay your own way from there on. Okay. So just that flight just doesn't get used, yeah. Oh, I get you. Okay. But surely they've paid for it though, haven't they? They would be losing their money. Yeah, but I think they sort of have to, like everyone has the option. To be able to come back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a part of the deal but you know it's encouraged to stay 
and, and keep going because that's, you know, incredible and, and a whole other experience. And, and the point of the trip is to really open your eyes to Israel, sort of ignite some curiosity. And I think if it sparks some interest or further interest in the religion for you, then they see that as being a huge benefit because, you know, being Jewish is, is not as popular now, sort of the, the Jewish population is going down. So I think if they can keep the practices going, then that's really part of the aim. Oh, tell me about Christmas. Yeah. So because, you know, in Israel, it's a Jewish state, a Jewish country, um, they celebrate Hanukkah. So we didn't see Christmas things around and Hanukkah is a lot more of a private ceremony and celebration than than Christmas. But on the day of Christmas Day, the day of Christmas Day, we hiked up Mount Masada and got to the peak of it at sunrise. So Mount Masada is one of the highest points in Israel. And as the sun was rising, we stood there. It was about a, it was a over an hour like hike. It was a long, and it was very steep. It was an extremely like steep hike. There was no flat ground. I'm not the fittest person, and it was really really difficult for me. So it was a, it was a real point of, like it was an achievement. When I got up the top, it was like something that I didn't think that I could do and somehow I made my way up the top. And the other option that we had was to have another bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah either for the first or second time on the top of the mountain. Did you do that? Yes, I did. And that was really special. When I was bat mitzvahed, I felt like, I was really young. I knew that this was sort of a part of how I was, but I didn't really understand things. And and when I chose my Jewish name because I didn't have one already, I just sort of chose it out of a book. And then it was similar to a friends of mine and, and I just didn't really feel strongly about having an identity for myself and, and understanding my place in it. And so I decided to redo my bat mitzvah on the mountain and I rechose my Jewish name, which is my actual middle name, which is my dad's mother's name, and that's not Jewish, but the the name of it also has Jewish uh, origins. And so I was able to actually take my own middle name and claim it again as a part of me and my history. Mm, that sounds lovely. It was one of those moments where you go, oh, this is exactly where I'm meant to be. And as much as the trip was really difficult in a lot of ways, it was a physically challenging trip. It was uh, very fast and there was so much information. Like you just felt like, you know, you weren't going to be able to absorb as much as you wanted to just in that moment being like, no, this is, this is really right. This is where I'm meant to be. This is a, a day that I'll never forget because rather than being at home on Christmas, which is lovely and beautiful, I'm in this place, in this historic place and reclaiming a part of myself. Yeah, it, sound, it sounds really enlightening and it sounds like something that I, I'm, I'm just thinking about a 20-year-old doing this and they, I can't see them getting as much out of it as being closer to the age of 27. 
Mm. And I think it's interesting that I kept it at the age of 27. Yeah, I've wondered why that is. And I'm not sure that, you know, because it's a philanthropic exercise, if it would just be too much people and they wouldn't be able to afford it if they didn't cap it, which is my assumption. I'm sure there's another reason. Um, but I know like my mum's never been to Israel and she would love to go and it would be extremely special for her. And I feel like it just, it would be amazing for all those other adults above the age of 27 with the Jewish heritage to go. Mm, even if they did it from 25 to 30. Yeah. I, I just, I kind of think that I can imagine the younger ones going there and like you said, not taking it as seriously as it sounds like it should be taken. Yeah, and I think you're allowed to have fun. I don't want to take that away from the experience. It is meant to be a joyous experience where you do get to celebrate being there. But I think it's also recognising that, you know, a lot of people couldn't make that happen on their own. And you are being given this experience, which I think Ireland is the only other place that does a birthright in the world. Yeah, I just think of myself at 20. There's no way that I would have been able to open up enough to be able to accept the enlightenment that sounds like you had. And I think it's great for people to go and learn and understand it, but I don't know how much you can actually grasp at that age compared to being 27. You know, there's a big difference. I would say that there is probably a benefit of going back like when you're older and looking at it with a bit more life experience. But I I think it's, you know, they have the experience that that they needed to have then. And I think that's, you know, going to somewhere like Israel, I I honestly don't think you need to be religious or Jewish to go and appreciate it because I think you go to somewhere like that and you have the experience that you need to have. Makes me want to go to Israel. You should. Oh, my God. I One of the most incredible areas of Israel was the Dead Sea and I could see you there. It doesn't sound like. Uh, enticing because it's called the Dead Sea, but it's like exotic. (laughs) So the Dead Sea, is that the sea that you're not meant to put your face under the water? Yes, yes. Why is is that? That kind of freaks me out a little bit. Uh, Well, it's not that hard to do to not put your face under, but the salt is so strong that it's like it's bad for your eyes. It's, oh, it's, so, it's the yeah. salt level, which is why everyone floats because it's so yes. strong with salt. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I've just got this image of myself trying to gracefully go into the Amazon River and not put my face under, <laughs> and that was not graceful at all. I ended up going straight under and see that has no salt in it at all because it's a river right. and it's really hard mm-hmm. to stay up. And so that's yeah. the vision I have of myself just going straight under somewhere where they tell you not to put your face. And I'm like, oh, I just did it. I did it. I did it. Okay. That's why. Yeah, it's so it would salty. hurt. It would be really, really painful to put your um, face under. But because you float and if, you know, you're you're careful, you can float quite comfortably without worrying about your face. And and it's it's a really healing place to be because the salt is so high. And I think the really sad thing about the Dead Sea is that it's sinking. It's apparently in the next 30 or so years, it may not be there. Oh, I need to get there then. Yeah, and it has the most amazing healing properties with all of the minerals and they sell, you know, mud there that you can sort of bring back home. And a lot of people, you know, in their bathers would just like cover themselves with mud as like a bit of a, 
treatment. <laughs> mm, I have seen images of that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you do. I think that's one of the things, like, people need to hurry to the Dead Sea, but then when they can get to, like, the Wailing Wall. All right, you, you've you've sold me. Dead Sea, Wailing <laughs> Wall, I've got it. I need to get there. Okay, that's really interesting. Is there anything else about your trip that you would like to tell us? Tel Aviv is probably one of the most modern cities that we went to, and it's quite strange to be in an ancient country and go to a city that's really quite modern. Would you recommend people staying in Tel Aviv at all? Yeah, I would. I would. I think you definitely have to look at your accommodation and look at reviews. Um, but definitely, you know, I think Tel Aviv, you know, was quite a fun place, fun place to be. And as a, as a Jewish person, you don't need to be scared about going there and feeling like you're not Jewish enough and you don't know enough, which is a huge relief. It's a massive relief rather than thinking you have to go and be like, oh, I don't, this is, you know, make excuses why you don't know stuff. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's a really good tip for people that are wanting to go there and feel like there might be that something stopping them. Just go, just do it. The shekel is significantly lower than the Australian dollar or most other currencies around the world. But because of the taxes and everything, it, it costs about the same. I went with like 700 Australian dollars thinking that would be so much more than enough for only 10 days paying for partial amount of my meals and and some souvenirs and I struggled to make it through with that much. It's not that much to travel on in general anyway. $700 is not a lot to travel with. No, I was just thinking, oh, I couldn't even imagine going somewhere with $700. Even within Australia, I think you would struggle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I hadn't, because it happened so quickly, I hadn't gotten that much together. And I was like, oh, looking at, you know, the shake line, I was like, no, no, it should be fine. And then when I got over there, it was like I had to really manage my money. And you could and still enjoy it and that was fine. But definitely I would say go with more than enough because it, it adds up and it's it's not as cheap as it looks. Mm, especially when everything is included, like you said, and you would think you wouldn't need that much. That's a good tip. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. I am really impressed with the fact that this exists. I didn't know anything about it. I love learning new things. I hope my listeners love learning new things. I would love to speak to someone if they've done the Irish going back to Ireland and having the birthright there as well. I would love to talk to someone. So if anyone has done that, please email me and I would love to hear about that as well because, again, I didn't even know these existed. So it is so good to learn about new things. So thank you so much, Sash, for being able to talk to us today. It's been really, really interesting. Oh, it was my pleasure. I hope that people got something out of listening to it. And, yeah, just, just go for it. Just visit Israel. Thanks for listening to With You Every Step, hosted by Michelle Lee. We do hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, make sure you tell everybody. If you didn't, nobody likes a Debbie Downer. Please subscribe to get up to date with our latest releases and give us a thumbs up on our social media at With You Every Step. We love to hear from you. If you have any questions or inquiries, head to the Contact Us page at our website, michellelee.com. That's also where you'll find all our blogs mentioned in the podcast. We love to hear from you and if we have inspired you to travel. Thanks for listening. Love life and adventure on.